there are now three spaceships on Epsilon-1, the major planet of the Epsilon galaxy. The first two, being crewed by Dolan and the Gypsies, have been there for two years, during which time they've taught the primitive cave dwellers who live there some of the basic human skills which will help them along the road to evolution. The third, a recent arrival, is crewed by Major General Fester B. Snarkbuster, USAF, open brackets, retired, close brackets, Director of Nasty, Chief Engineer Alistair Trufit McKenzie, and the double agent from Gorblimir, Vladimir Shotitov. It is Snarkbuster's intention to recover the other two rockets and force their crews to fly them back to Earth, where he thinks they belong. But he's overpowered by the cave people, and his crew decide to join the gypsies in their travels. So he finds he has no option but to go along with them. After a couple of weeks of relaxation on Epsilon 1, the demeanour of Major General Fester B. Snarkbuster, USAF open brackets, retired close brackets, began to change in a subtle way. A regular diet of good, sustaining food, plus plenty of sleep in the open air, seemed to improve his nature immensely. Like his companions, he shaved off his huge beard, although he left a little bit at the end of his chin. Just for decoration, you understand? And he cut his great two-year growth of hair, although not the drastic crew cut he wore on Earth. If he got a little angry about something, his large, unmatching ears would not redden so much, and his hairy nostrils would twitch far less when he spoke. And when he spoke, his voice, formerly a granite-like roar at all times, became a soft rumble, and very nearly a gentle one at that. He took to going for long walks in the hills with the kids of the cave people, climbing the trees with them, like a huge overgrown gorilla, or swimming with them in the clear waters of the nearby river. He even taught the older ones among them an elementary kind of baseball. Why? He'd often observe. They're uh, just like real folks, you know? Dolan and the others were amazed at this change of personality, or at least of behaviour. But Jimbird Flyflower was philosophical. Tis true to say that it takes all sorts to make a world, and lots of them is helping to make it. But they can be doing it in the wrong jobs, sometimes all of their lives, without even knowing it. And I reckon that's what happened in old Festy's case. Forcing himself to do a job that didn't really suit him. All his poor old life. Then suddenly, finding himself free to do as he pleases. He <laughs> he I ain't suggesting that everyone should get into a spaceship and cover a thousand million light years or so to find out if they're really happy. But it might do a lot of people a power of good if they just sat themselves down and asked themselves, is this what he wants to be doing? Or is there something else? The gypsies thought about this for a while, as they sat in the sun by the river, and Dolan was about to speak, when Major General Fester B. Snarkbuster USAF, open brackets, retired, close brackets, came trotting up from the waterside, dripping wet, surrounded by laughing children, and amazed them all by announcing, Yeah, by the way, I've been meaning to say this for some time now. I'd like you guys to call me Festy from now on, you know?
it was time to move on. Dolan and the Gypsies felt an overwhelming sadness as they donned their spacesuits and prepared to enter the rockets for the last time on Epsilon One. But they all knew that they could not stay forever. There were new things to see, new things to do, and besides, it was time for the cave people to take over their own destinies, make their own discoveries. The gypsies had planted many seeds of knowledge. It was now up to the cave people to make of the groves what they could. Their leader, the man now called John, who had twice tried to bite Jimbird's spaceship when it had first landed, stepped forward and gave Jimbird a mighty hug as he took hold of the ladder. Have good travels, big gob, he said in the English that Father Out had taught them. That we will be sure, Jammy friend. <laughs> and watch out for saber-toothed tigers now. The gypsies quickly hauled up the ladders, stood in the airlock doors, and waved a farewell to their friends. The cave people waved back, and many were openly weeping. Then, the doors slammed shut, and the gypsies settled into their seats. Aboard Jimbird's ship, it was Dolan who took the pilot's place. Jimbird, for all his exuberance, had recognised the twilight of his life as being not very far away. And during the two years or so, had taught Dolan and Ivan everything he knew about the flying and maintenance of his ship. Both of the young people had taken the ship up for an orbital spin around the planet. And so it was Dolan who now said, Countdown from three, starting now. Three, two, one, fire! And the engines of the three ships blazed. They lifted slowly, gathered speed, achieved escape velocity, and were soon free of the atmosphere and gravitational pull of Epsilon One. Cut engines, said Dolan, and the three silver ships hurtled in line abreast and in deceptive silence through the blue vastness of the universe, bound they knew not where. What's that up ahead? said Dolan, staring intently at the telescreen. It appears to be some kind of huge white sphere, came the voice of Alistair Truefit Mackenzie over the radio. And it's directly on our path. Then we'd better take evasive action. There's no need to mow you on. Take a look at your instruments. The thing is slowing up, Dune. Yeah, but how? said Crispin Lobb mincing. There seems to be some kind of protectional force field around it. A kind of anti-gravity, if you like. Curious. It has this energy, a sort of weakness about it, undicating light, but it's given off no heat whatsoever. It's just hanging there, immobile, and space. And it stopped us, said Dolan. No, I wonder just why, said Jimbird. His answer was not long in coming. There was a sudden loud knock on the outer airlock door. Dolan rotated the telescreen control and stared in amazement. I think you've got visitors, mate, said Crispin Lobmincing, 
and they certainly had. For standing in space, at the entrance to Dolan's ship, were four very human-looking individuals. They were rather pale, and wore no spacesuits, but were dressed incredibly like city gents. Black jackets, striped trousers, conservative ties, and they all carried briefcases and wore bowler hats. The oddest thing about them was that their bowler hats were pointed, which seemed to indicate that they had pointed heads. Their leader knocked sharply again. Sighing, Dolan admitted them. They marched into the cabin in single file. Their leader spoke. Good day to you. My name is... But he was interrupted by his weightlessness, which carried him and his followers straight up to the ceiling of the cabin, which they all struck with some force, causing their pointed bowler hats to become jammed firmly over their ears. It was the leader's turn to sigh. (laughs) That always happens. As I was saying, my name is Cavill, and I'm the uh, Assistant Deputy Chief Invigilator of Violations of Universal Copyrights. (laughs) Copyrights? roared Jimbird Flyflower. What the blazes do you mean, copyrights? <laughs> Cavill sighed again. Copyrights, my dear sir, is what we define as that which should belong to no private individual, but is the sole province of RHQ. Uh, that's the huge white sphere you can see on your telescreens out there. And which is known as White Ball. Never heard of you, said Jim Bird. Though you do have a familiar look about you. That is understandable, my dear sir. We are a relatively new department of the universe. Look kind of cold and airless to me, you know, said a familiar voice. We need neither warmth nor oxygen in order to function efficiently, sir. And now, if I may, to business. Just what is your business? snapped Dolan. Our departmental brief is to make copyright inventory of every single original idea, invention, item of research, accident of nature, piece of creative writing, step forward in an evolutionary process, device, gadget or modification thereto, and so on and so forth. A kind of a doomsday book of the entire universe, if you take my meaning. (laughs) Said Jim Bird. A Sisyphean task, if ever I heard one. But the joke was lost on Cavill. Well now, said Cavill. As you are passing, we thought we might as well start with your little enterprise, gentlemen. Shall we begin? As Cavill said this, his three colleagues simultaneously snapped open their briefcases, produced large clipboards, and clicked their ballpoint pens. Ready for action. White Ball does insist on everything in quadruple. We're a little short of carbon paper, you see, but as a civil service department, we do have manpower to... Ah, that's what's so familiar about you, said Jimbird Flyflower, and roaring with laughter, Space civil servants! <laughs> and with pointed heads and all. Oh, tis too much! Cavill cleared his throat irritably. Ahem. If you don't mind, Mr Flyflower, we do have rather a lot of work to get through. I must remind you that not only shall we be recording your ideas and inventions, but the materials utilised in their manufacture. Now then, are we all ready, team? Yes, 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 they all said. Very well. Item one, 
Ships, space, quantity, three. Check, check, check. Item two, transporters, matter, instant, quantity, four. Check, check, check. Item three, suits, space, quantity, 15. Check, check, check. Seven thousand five hundred and sixty-three pencils. Writing quantity twenty-seven. Chuck, chuck, chuck. Item seven thousand five hundred and sixty-four clips. Paper securing steel plated. Quantity three hundred and fifty-nine. Chuck, chuck, chuck. Cavil side. And that would seem to be it for the time being, gentlemen. Gentlemen. Gentlemen! Dolan was the first to awaken and speak. Kindly do not call me that. Well, yes, well. Said Cavill, as he and his colleagues simultaneously put away their clipboards, snapped their briefcases shut, and unclicked their ballpoint pens. We have itemised most of your materials, and we shall return on the morrow to commence work on your ideas. Oh, really? Our ideas, eh? Dolan sat up slowly in the pilot's seat with a faraway look of the eye, took a deep breath, and began loudly and quickly. A device for removing eggs from horses' hooves, a gadget that counts the number of pips in a jar of strawberry jam, a gauge for measuring elephant's breath, a timer that tells you when to scratch your, uh, nose, something that goes pop every time you touch it, a budgie polisher, a big red... Enough! <laughs> Enough! Cried Cavill, clapping his hands over his ears. That young person is creating an instant backlog of work that grows greater and greater every second. We must leave. At once! And the quartet of pointy-headed civil servants swivelled around in their bowler hats, which were still pressed to the ceiling, and made for the airlock door, which Dolan obligingly opened. (sighs) Have they gone at last? said Jim Bird. Dolan smiled. Yes, and I suggest we do the same before they get another chance at us. You know what officials can be like. And on the count of three, the three pilots fired their retro rockets and backed off from White Ball. I think they're leaving, Mr Cavill, said one of the pointy-headed civil servants on White Ball. Just as well, I suppose. Put their stuff in the pending tray, would you? Well, it's full, Mr. Cavill. Well, then find another one. As the three silver spaceships swung up and away from White Ball, Jim Bird grinned. I never thought to see the likes of them out in deep space. Well, you know what they say, Jim Bird, said Festy. It takes all sorts to make a universe, you know. 